I'm excited to be here. So grateful for your pastor. Got to meet a lot of your team today walking around here. And God has certainly blessed LifePoint, hasn't he? And uh, so grateful, grateful to be here today. I was listening to your, to your band today, and I was reminded of a, a young man in our church years ago named Philip. Philip was, uh, came to our church and was our keyboard player in our band, and he was a phenomenal piano player. And I was talking to his wife one day. Philip was a very humble, very unassuming kind of guy. And, Phil, and his wife, Tabitha, said, yeah, a lot of people don't know this about Philip. He actually played uh, the piano in the Marine Corps. I said, he played the piano in the Marine Corps. I never, that wasn't my image of Marine. She said, yeah. She said, a lot of people don't know this, but at a lot of like big events, the Marine Corps band provides the music. She said, Philip has played the piano in front of world leaders. He's played the piano at the White House. And I said, that's fascinating. So I asked Philip about it. I said, Philip, tell me about playing the piano for the Marine Corps. Like, what is that like? And I said, what is, what is basic training like? For the Marine Corps piano player, that's picture like the piano's got like razor wire around it and there's like bombs going off. There's some guy yelling, play faster. He said, no, no, it wasn't like that at all. He said, I went to the regular boot camp basic training that every Marine went through. Any Marines in the house here? Are there any? A few? Maybe? A couple? Yeah, see some like, so Philip told me this and you guys, yeah, thank you for your service. Absolutely. Philip told me this. You guys can confirm this is true. He said the Marine Corps have a, a saying that every Marine is a rifleman. He said that was our mantra. And he said that you're first a rifleman. He said every Marine goes to basic training and they learn first and foremost how to shoot a rifle in combat. And once you get that down, then you go on to take on whatever role you might take in the Marine Corps. For him, it was playing the piano. For other guys, it was different roles in the Marine Corps. But every Marine is first and foremost a rifleman. Now, I thought of Philip when I was talking to Dean recently about your series here that you're kicking off today, Ordinary People. Here's the big idea is that God uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. That's what you're going to be focused on the next few weeks. And I thought of that, I thought of Philip, because every follower of Christ is first and foremost a disciple maker. Every follower of Christ is first and foremost a disciple maker. The Bible tells us in many places, 2 Corinthians 5, one of the places the scripture says that if you've been reconciled to Christ, you've been made right with God through faith in Christ, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So when you become a follower of Christ, you're given the responsibility to point other people to Jesus. Now that's first and foremost every follower of Christ's responsibility. Now you'll go on to do different things. You'll go on to work different jobs. You'll major in different things in college. You'll pursue various careers. You will take on various ministries in your local church. Nathan gave me a tour of your building this morning. I got to see people serving as greeters and as security in children's ministry, running the coffee uh, table out there. You'll do a lot of ministries in your church, but we are first and foremost disciple makers, every single one of us. It's important we understand that. Because we have to break down the division that happens in the church a lot between what we would call ministers and lay people. I remember growing up in church and people would talk about folks who were called to the ministry. There were pastors who were called to the ministry. There were missionaries who were called to the mission field. And I got this image in my mind, this understanding in my mind as a kid, that there were two classes of Christians in the church. There were those who were called to ministry, who were going to go tell people about Jesus and make disciples. And then there were the, just the regular people who were going to show up on Sunday and throw someone in the offering plate so our missionaries can go around the world. And that's not a biblical, that is not a biblical concept. God has called every single person in this room to the ministry. 
Every person, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been called to the ministry. It's not a matter today of whether or not you are called. It's a matter of whether or not you'll be obedient to that call. It's not am I called or am I not called. It's will I be obedient or will I not be obedient to what God has called me to. Your career is going to change over the course of your life, perhaps, but your calling will remain the same. If you're in high school today and you're considering what you're, where you're going to go when you graduate high school, you are first and foremost going to be a disciple maker for the rest of your life. If you're in college and you're thinking about what your major will be, you are going to be first and foremost a disciple maker. Whatever your job is, whatever role you take on in your local church, you are first and foremost called to be a disciple maker. So as we consider the call of Christ to ordinary people, I want to go back in the scriptures to a time where we see some of the first people being called by Jesus to follow him in Mark chapter 1. What we're going to discover today in Mark chapter 1 is that not much has changed in 2,000 years. The same call that went out to the men in our text today still goes out to you. And everything that was true of them is true of every single person in this room. We're going to take a closer look here at the call of Christ on the lives of ordinary people. Let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men." And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately they, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Four things I want you to notice about this moment in time where Jesus called these four men to follow him. Four things that are true of every person in this room. The first is this, that the call of Christ goes out to ordinary people in ordinary places. The call of Christ goes out to ordinary people in ordinary places. Or you might say it this way, the call of Christ goes out to unlikely people in unlikely places. We're told here in verse 16 that he was passing along the Sea of Galilee and he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon. God's eternal plan is, has reached a critical phase. If you see this in the context of Mark so far, we see in the beginning of the chapter, John the Baptist preparing the way for the coming Messiah. We have the baptism of Jesus in verse 9. In verse 12, the temptation of Jesus. And then we get to verse 15. It says, Jesus says these words, the time is fulfilled, the time is fulfilled, the time has come, and the kingdom of God is at hand. The time for God's plan to unfold has come. History, in fact all of eternity, has been moving toward this moment since the dawn of time. Jesus is about to start a movement that would alter the history of the world and all eternity. One of his first steps is to build his team and this is where he goes, the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee. This is an odd place to begin, a worldwide religious movement that would alter history and eternity. You could have gone to the noble and powerful of Herod's courts. You could have gone to the religious leaders of the Sanhedrin. But Jesus goes to the less educated and less refined of this remote city on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. You see, Jesus doesn't go to the elite and powerful. He goes to a bunch of fishermen. 
And we notice here in verse 16 that they were casting a net. I want you to look at this if you have your Bible in front of you. Verse 16, they were casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. For they were fishermen. In fact, some translations puts that in parentheses. It's a parenthetical aside. They were casting the net into the sea. Why were they casting the net into the sea? It's because they were fishermen. Why were they fishing? They were fishermen. In fact, some translations, the New Living Translation translated, they, they were casting a net into the sea for they fished for a living. Now, what's the point of that? These were not preachers who were fishing for the fun of it. These were not religious scholars who were on a retreat and decided to go fish as part of that retreat. These were professional fishermen. These were ordinary men engaged in an ordinary job, and it's these people that Jesus chose to follow him and be a part of what he's doing. What did he ask them to do? He doesn't say, follow me and I'll make you great preachers. Follow me and you'll be leaders of the first century church. He says, follow me, guys, and let's go fish for people. Jesus met ordinary, unlikely people in an ordinary, unlikely place and invited them into an extraordinary movement that would alter all of history and all of eternity. Here's the point I want you to catch at this point is that God still calls ordinary people. If he took a bunch of fishermen from the shore of the Sea of Galilee and changed the world, what could he do through you here in Columbus, Ohio? The exact same thing. The exact same thing. He still calls ordinary people. Whoever you are, wherever you are, God can use you. Years ago, Henry Blackaby wrote a Bible study called Experiencing God. It's become probably one of the most popular Bible studies. Many people, when I mention it, will nod their heads that they've gone through that. I remember going through that as a young man in college, and one of the quotes that stuck with me since that time was this. We'll put it on the screen for you. Henry Blackaby said, if you feel weak, limited, and ordinary, you are the best material through which God can work. If you feel weak, limited, and ordinary, You're the best person God can use. You ever feel weak? Do you ever feel limited? Do you ever feel ordinary? Well, if Henry Blackaby is right, I've got great news for you. God can use you. And he is right because it comes from Scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. God uses foolish, weak, despised, limited, ordinary people to accomplish his purposes. You may wish that you had more knowledge or different gifts, some particular talent, some dramatic story. I remember thinking as a young youth pastor, I would take my students to these youth events and there would be this preacher up there sharing his testimony and, uh, and he would tell the story about I was in prison and I came to Jesus in prison and, and I would think, man, if only I'd gone to prison, God, how could you use me if I had just gone to prison? You could really use me. And God, I just as a normal Baptist kid with a limited, ordinary story who said, God, could you use me? And you may feel the same way. Man, if I, could, if, I could, if I was as talented as a musician as that person, if I was great speaking in front of people as that person, if I was as, as creative as that person, God wants to take you just like you are and use you just like he took these fishermen from the Sea of Galilee and used them. God is still at work. His plan is still unfolding. He's still using unlikely, 
ordinary people from unlikely, ordinary places. If he can use fishermen to change the world, what could he do through you? The world will be changed in your classroom, in your boardroom, in your courtroom, in your operating room, in your break room. That's where the world is going to be changed. I have a good friend named Kendall. Kendall's one of my best friends. We've been friends for many, many years. Kendall went to seminary right out of college. He got a degree in seminary. He went on to be a youth pastor. He felt that God was calling him to the ministry. And uh, he got involved in student ministry. And then this isn't for me. I just don't feel like I'm doing what God wants me to do. And he began to pray about that and think about that. And what he really loved was playing tennis. He played tennis in high school. He played tennis in college. And he said, I wonder if God could use me as a tennis coach. Here's a picture of Kendall with one of his recent teams. We'll put it up there on the screen for you. Uh, Kendall went on to coach men's and women's college tennis. There he is right there in the yellow shirt in the middle there. Kendall said, I'm going to use my coaching ministry as a platform for what God would want to do through my life. And over the years, Kendall has coached over 200 athletes from 29 different countries. And and this is not just, this is like riding around. Have you ever been a college athlete? This is riding in buses and staying in hotels and traveling the country, evangelizing, pointing to Jesus, living out the gospel for 200 players from 29 different countries. He has uh, intervened with athletes facing depression and considering suicide. He, he counseled one a female athlete to have her baby when she was considering abortion. He led one athlete to Christ who took the gospel back to his family in Europe. God has used him over and over again as a tennis coach. And not only that, he's been a part. He left our church to go plant our first church plant about 18 years ago. And since then, he and his wife have helped with two more church plants. So as a tennis coach, not only has he pointed a bunch of athletes to Jesus, he's been a key leader in our church planting movement in Kansas City because he said, I don't know that pastoral staff ministry is for me. I want to use tennis as an opportunity. And God took an ordinary tennis player and has used him to advance the gospel. God wants to use you. Whatever your situation is, wherever you find yourself, whatever your weak and limited ordinary abilities are, God wants to meet you and use you. Do you feel weak today? Do you feel ordinary today? This text should really encourage you with what God can do in your life. Second thing I want you to notice is that the call of Christ invites ordinary people to take extraordinary steps of faith. Now, I want you to look at this text, verse 17. It says, Jesus said to them, follow me, verse 17. He says it again in verse, or notice in verse 18 what they do. It says they followed him. Now, if you want to look at this in the English translation, you're reading this in every possible English translation you can find, and it's going to be translated the exact same way, follow me. You know why it's translated the exact same way in every single English translation? Because if you look at the original Greek language, you know what this phrase means in the original Greek language? Are you ready for this? Follow me. Follow me. That's deep. I know. You said, Dean, where did you find him? He's brilliant. Here's the point. They follow. Here's what happened, okay? They're in a boat, and they're holding onto a net. They're mending a net. And Jesus says, follow me. Here's what they did. They dropped the net. They climbed out of the boat, and they followed him. You say, what's the point of this? The point is, and I think in the church today, we talk about, sing about, pray about, Following Jesus is something theoretical rather than something we actually practically do. 
We, we do, when I was a kid, went to uh, this great little church when I was a little kid, and, and, and we sang songs like, wherever he leads, I'll go. And you remember saying that? Wherever he leads, I'll go. And then we'd go to Denny's. You know, it's like, we didn't, we didn't go anywhere. Like, where are you going to go? If you say, I'm following Jesus, following Jesus should take you somewhere. The only place it's brought you is to this building and then back to your normal life without thinking about him. You're, you're not really allowing that journey of following Jesus to take you somewhere. These men got out of the boat and went somewhere. Are you following Jesus? How will you respond to God's call in your life? Think about God's call. Not just what are you going to be when you grow up? What is your vocation? Where are you going to go? That might mean a mission trip that's coming up this year that you've been thinking about. And you say, if I'm going to follow him, I've got to go somewhere. For you, it might mean you've got to get on an airplane and go somewhere with the gospel. It might mean an outreach opportunity of your church. And you learn about something that's going to happen in the next few months or weeks here. And you say, I've got to, I want to go. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to go out with the group that's going there. It might be in the next church plant that LifePoint does. And you say, to follow Jesus means I need to go from this place into what he has for me. Maybe it's uh, something that you've been very passionate about. I, th- I think one of the problems today is we don't put our hashtags into action. We'll post and tweet about everything that gets us ramped, amped up, what we see on television. We won't do anything about it. And so you can change your profile picture and put whatever banner underneath your picture that's popular today. You can hashtag whatever popular. But what are you going to do about it? Where will you go? What ministry will you take on? Will you finally engage with that neighbor? Will you finally befriend that coworker? Where will following Jesus take you? It's time to step out of the boat And take a step of faith and not just let following you, Jesus, be something I sing about and pray about and talk about and preach about. It's time to actually follow him. Where will you go? Let me give you some encouragement as you step out of the boat. Number three, the call of Christ empowers ordinary people with extraordinary ability. The call of Christ empowers ordinary people with extraordinary ability. So it goes out to everyone, unlikely ordinary people in unlikely ordinary places. It's a call to actually go somewhere, to follow him into something. But here's the great news. When he calls you to whatever he's called you to, he gives you the power to do what he's called you to do. Now, I, rem- I memorized, I don't know, somewhere along the way when I was a kid, this verse kind of stuck in my mind, verse 17, follow me. And here's how I remembered it. Here, I remembered it this way, and it's probably this way in some verse of the, in some translation of the Bible. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I memorized, memorized it. Well, I was studying this a while back, and I was looking at uh, this translation that I'm reading in front of me today. It says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And I began to read that in other English translations, and, and many others translate it the same way. So I began to look a little closer at that. It's not just follow me and I will make you fishers of men in the sense of follow me and I will make you do it. It's follow me and I will make you able to do it. Not only will I give you the, not just follow me and I'll give you the responsibility of fishing for men. Follow me and I'll give you the ability to fish for men. In fact, one translation translates this way, follow me and I will turn you into fishers of people. God will provide, God will endow, qualify, accomplish, bring to pass. These are all ways we could translate this. The ability, the enabling to go out and do what he's called you to do. He will give you the power to do 
what he has called you to do. Look at a couple of other passages where we find this. We find this in many places. Here's just a couple. Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses. You'll get the power, and then you'll be my witness. Colossians 1.28. We proclaim him, warning everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. We so often see this um, a combination in Scripture of our struggling in God's energy. And I love it here in Colossians 1 where Paul writes, I toil toward this end to go out and make Christ known, to make disciples, to point people to Jesus. I'm struggling toward that goal, but I'm struggling with his energy that is in me. That through Christ we can rise above our natural limitations. That God never calls us into something without giving us the power to do it. I heard one time somebody said, where the finger of God points, the hand of God provides. Wherever God points you, God empowers you to do what he's called you to do. Several years ago, I was building a shed in my backyard, and my two little boys, they're 25. My twins are 25 years old now. They were in the backyard with me. They were probably, I don't know, three or four years old at the time and just kind of hanging around dad while I'm working. And I just put a roof on this shed. I was building some shelves inside and had a, a, a paper sack of roofing nails and a bunch of scrap wood. I said, hey, guys, you want to you hammer some of these nails over here while Dad works? And she's trying to get them out of my hair. And that's a, probably not the smartest thing to give a three-year-old hammer and nails to keep them out of your hair. There's probably better ways to do that. But I said, go hammer these nails. And, and they were trying to hammer the nails, and they couldn't do it, and they were getting very frustrated. And I remember going over there, and one of my boys was holding the nail, and he's holding the hammer. And I got down on my knee behind him, and I wrapped my arm around him, and I wrapped my hand around his hand, and I drove that nail into the board. He was so excited. His eyes lit up at the sudden ability that he had to drive these nails and such pride when he stepped back and saw what he did. He didn't have any power at all. He picked up a hammer. I came around behind him and wrapped my hand around his hand and gave him the power. Listen, if you pick up the hammer, God supplies the power. He's going to give you the ability to do whatever he is he's called you to do. He still empowers ordinary people to play a role in his extraordinary plan. Will you trust his power? Will you follow him? Will you allow God to use you? Finally, the call of Christ compels ordinary people to, to sacrifice what is common and familiar for extraordinary opportunities. All right, here's what he's, we're saying here. The call of Christ asks ordinary people to make sacrifices. You gotta let go of what's common. You gotta let go of what's familiar if you're going to step into what God has for you in your future. Look back at our text, verse 19. Verse 19, going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Verse 18, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And verse 20, immediately... He left, they left their father and the servants and followed him. They left their nets, they left their boats, they left the hired men, they left their father, they left it all. In fact, the fact that they had boats, plural, and they had hired servants uh, tells us this was probably a pretty good operation. 
They left their father, who was also fishing. It's probably the family business. This is probably something. We don't know how long it went back. Maybe Zebedee's father before him started this fishing business. But this was the family business, and it was going well. They were making a good living. It was the fishing industry on the sea of Gal- shore of the Sea of Galilee was very, very prosperous. These guys had a great life. And Jesus said, I want you to leave it behind and follow me. And that one decision forever altered the course of their lives. Imagine, could have stayed in the boat. Life was good, catching lots of fish, buying extra boats, hiring more employees, working alongside dad. A great life. And they could have lived out the rest of their days, the comfortable life of a fisherman on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, but they never would have seen the leper healed. They never would have seen the blind receive sight. They wouldn't have seen the multitudes miraculously fed. They wouldn't have seen Jesus walk on water. They wouldn't have seen the dead raised back to life. They would have missed it all if they'd stayed in the boat. The call of Christ calls us to make sacrifices in order to experience what God has for us in the future. Are you following him? And if you're following him, what are you willing to sacrifice? You'll never know what you're missing out on as long as you're standing on the shore with the net in your hand. My kids, one of the my, my things that grosses me out as a parent was loose teeth. Anybody else have that? It just kids want to like, they flip them around with their tongue. Like, Dad, I'm like, gosh, please just pull that yourself. I can't help you with this situation. And it'd fall out, like the root is hanging out of it. And they're like, hey, check it out. I'm like, ugh. So we, uh, we'd put that tooth in a Ziploc bag. I promise you, I promise you there's no tooth in this Ziploc bag. Get rid of those as quick as we could. We'd put it in a little Ziploc bag like this. And we'd say, all right, take this, put it under your pillow, and tonight the tooth fairy will come, right? So Mason, my son, one of the times he lost his tooth, went to bed that night, tooth under the pillow in the Ziploc bag, and the tooth fairy goes in as he's asleep. And I don't know the going rate now, but uh, in those days it was a dollar a tooth. And so the tooth fairy, is that, is that the rate? Okay, I thought I figured inflation and supply chain and COVID and Russia and Biden had gone up by then, but um, still a dollar. I, the tooth fairy goes into his room that night to exchange the gross, useless tooth for a dollar. That's a lot of money to a small kid. As the tooth fairy reaches under the pillow to retrieve the tooth, Mason has it in his grip like this. And as the tooth fairy would tug on the Ziploc bag, his grip would only tighten and try to move it out and get a little bit out. And not only would he tighten his grip, he'd pull it up under the pillow even tighter against his cheek under that pillow. And you think, Mason, let go of the tooth. There's something better. That useless tooth could be replaced with a crisp dollar bill, but you can't have the dollar till you let go of the tooth. How many times in our life do we cling to something useless when all the while God wants to give us something more? What are you clutching on to? If Mason had held that tooth in his grip, he never would have the dollar. If these fishermen had held that net in their grip, they never would have seen the dead raised back to life. What are you missing out on today because of a sacrifice you're unwilling to make? What would it cost you to follow Jesus today? Maybe it's um, money. 
Maybe you're in a job and uh, there's another thing that you really feel God calling you to do, but you know that's a pay cut. And you're not sure if you're willing to give up the restaurants you're able to eat in and the vacations you're able to take for this new career that maybe God is directing you to. Maybe that's time. You like the way that you spend your time, the hobbies that you're engaged in, and for you to step into the ministry that God's putting in front of you, it's going to cost you some time out of your schedule, and, and it's, it's going to be, uh, you know, a few less Netflix shows that you're going to be able to binge, or whatever it is, a few couple less rounds of golf, or whatever it might be. You're going to have to give something up. Maybe it's a change in plans. You've mapped it out. For a while now, you've known the course your life was going to take. You knew the steps that you were going to take, the order you would take them. And all of a sudden, God has dropped an opportunity in front of you that wasn't in the plan. And you have to let go of the previous plan. Maybe it's your worry about what others are going to think if you begin to take a stand for Jesus. You're wondering the impact that's going to have on your work, on your family, on your friends, on how people perceive you. And so you're standing in the boat, clutching the net, and all the while God has something more for you. What does he want you to let go of today? And will you do it? And will you do it now? One of the things that struck me about this passage is the word immediately. On both occasions, with both groups of men, it says they immediately followed him. There was no delay, there was no praying about it. There was no putting it off to a more convenient time in the future. They immediately stepped out of the boat and followed him. Will you say yes to Jesus today? Maybe even without knowing what it's going to be. This is only Sunday, number one of what, four more weeks, five more weeks, okay? You're going to have a lot more messages in this theme. And, And so maybe God is not yet revealed to you what that thing is going to be. Would you say today, whatever it is, I'll do it? Somebody ever ask you, um, uh, will you do me a favor? What do you usually say when someone says, will you do me a favor? What is it? Depends, right? It depends. Like, I don't know what it is. What if someone said to you, hey, what are you doing this weekend? What do you often say to them? Why? Why? It's like, do you have tickets to the game or are you moving a piano? I mean, it's like, that's what's going to impact, like, whether I have plans this weekend. Will you say yes to Jesus today, whatever it is, Jesus, I'll get out of the boat, I'll drop the net, I'll follow you. Whatever you tell me in the next few weeks, you right now, Jesus, you have yes from me. Not a depends or a we'll see or a let me pray about it. Jesus, if you'll call an ordinary person like me and you'll promise, as you have in your word, to empower me with extraordinary power, I'm willing to let go of the net and step out of the boat. Jesus, you have a yes from me right now. What is God calling you to do? Will you begin today to step out of the boat, to drop the net and follow him? Imagine what God could do. What he did, four fishermen from the remote town of Galilee and today in churches around the world, a billion people will open up the book and read their stories. What could he do? with a room full of ordinary people from Ohio that believe that God still provides extraordinary power and we step out of the boat. One of the things I love about your church is your heart for multiplication 
and your heart for ministry and your heart to be ascending church. That's one of the things that you don't know what your reputation is maybe uh, outside of this town, but your reputation across the country is one of the most outward focused, strongest multiplying churches in uh, as part of Sin Network. And we are grateful for you and for your pastor and your church planters at all the locations across this area. And I'll put this picture on the screen. I think it's something we always need to stop and ask ourselves. The church is either going to be a cruise ship or an aircraft carrier. And for the most part, I think everything I know about this church, it's an aircraft carrier. What's the difference? Well, a cruise ship is where you go to be entertained. The food is good. The shows are great. There's phenomenal programs for your kids. And you go there for the purpose of relaxing and being entertained. The aircraft carrier goes into places to send people into mission. And now this is a great place. I mean, you, you, I imagine there is probably good food here. I've not had any of it yet, but I imagine if you rolled some out, it would be good. I know you have great children's programs. I know you have phenomenal worship. I know you have an incredible tech team back here and all that they do. They do things really well. But the f- focus of what you do here is not to come here on Sunday morning to put your kids in great programs, to have some great coffee, and be entertained for an hour. The purpose is to equip one another to be launched out into this community and around the world. And so everyone here needs to consider, what is my role in making and continuing to build something here that's more like an aircraft carrier and not a cruise ship? Where is God sending me? What's my role in the mission? What's my role? What step can I take? What net can I lay down? And so I challenge you today to consider. In all your weakness, I know you feel ordinary. I know you feel limited. I know you, you would say, if only I had this or that, I could do this or that. Would you just say, God, would you just use me, an ordinary person, and would you make me become the person you want me to be? Let's pray together. Would you say right now, Jesus, I'm willing to drop the net, step out of the boat, and follow you. And maybe you know what that is. Maybe God has um, already put that on your heart. You know what net it is you're clutching right now. You know what boat you find yourself safely and securely in. And you know right now that you need to say, Jesus, I'm committing right now to drop the net, to climb out of the boat, to follow you. Maybe you don't yet know, but today you would pray, Jesus, in the next few weeks, I believe you're going to show me my next step and I'm going to say right now, yes. Whatever it is, yes. And then we just thank him. Jesus, thank you that you can use an ordinary person and that you can give me extraordinary power that comes only from you. Father, I want to pray for every person in this room. I pray for that person who is being held back because they feel very ordinary and limited. Today, would you just encourage them? They've seen in your word what you have done through ordinary people. Would you give them a sense of what you want to do through them? Father, I pray for the person here who feels inadequate. Would you just remind them that you are the one who provides the power? Father, I pray for the one clutching onto a net, that today they would drop that net so they might experience 
what you have for them, for the person in the safety of their boat. Will you compel them today to step over the edge and to follow you? Jesus, we thank you that you still use ordinary people. And we thank you that you empower us. We know that on our own, nothing significant will be accomplished in our lives. So we're grateful for the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us that strengthens and equips us. And we thank you that in this day, in our lifetime, we get to run our lap and we pray we'd run it faithfully. Use us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.